Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today's episode title is Strategic Communication Methods for DE&I. Our guest is Richard Bynum. He is the Chief Corporate Responsibility Officer for the PNC Financial Services Group. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Glad to be here. <laughs> so for those of you who haven't seen yet, we have an exclusive Green Room interview with Richard. You can find it in our Four Corners newsletter. Uh, so you've worked for PNC for the past 17 years, but prior to that, you had a lot of emergency management experience through the American Red Cross and 20 plus different disaster declarations. Um, can you share your experience of working some of those disaster response events uh, such as the Kosovo refugee crisis or the September 11th attacks? Yeah, I mean, now I'm, I'm going back a few years. Um, and, and what I know from folks I still know who are kind of in the industry is that a lot has changed uh, since I was involved. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I look at, at a lot of disaster relief now through the lens of CNN and, you know, MSNBC and, and the news and so forth. And it's um, some of it I don't recognize, which which is fine. I think a lot of things evolve through time. Um, so when I was involved, you know, the big bar was um, Hurricane Andrew. Uh, I can remember uh, at the Red Cross uh, National Headquarters uh, Disaster Operations Center, or DOC, which I think has moved. It used to be right down the street here uh, from where I am in Washington. Uh, they had a in, in sort of permanent marker all of the stats that we ended on from Hurricane Andrew as the high water mark. But every time I sort of hear about, um, you know, a hurricane or a big storm these days, we're talking multiples of Andrew. Um, and so there's some inflationary pressures to that, to be sure. But but we're just talking, I think, uh, in different terms than than when I was there. However, um, I, uh, you know, had an opportunity to respond to a number of emergencies. Uh, you named a couple. I was uh, the director of relief for a while for the Kosovo refugee operation in Fort Dix, New Jersey. So for folks um, not acquainted uh, with with that, um, you know, during the Bosnian uh, war effort uh, uh, back in the uh, Clinton era, um, they had occasion to have a number of refugees dislocate from that world. When I, I look at some of what goes on now, you know, in the Ukraine, it, it's probably a similar uh, set of, of visuals and issues, different war, of course, but similar set of visuals. Um, and some of those refugees made their way um, into this country. Um, and the way that that process worked is that they would come into, um, you know, a relocation center uh, where the army had stood up uh, its own force to manage, um, you know, that we're talking about thousands of people, men, women, and children. Um, a number of agencies had been tasked um, to, worked that effort through what was then the federal response plan 
uh, ESF six, as I recall it, uh, emergency support function six, which was mass care, which was the Red Cross's responsibility. And so we, as an organization connected to that, uh, took part. Um, and our job was to help with, with basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, the shelter was easy because uh, we're on a uh, Fort Dix uh, army base. We have lots of shelter. Um, but it was some of the sort of what I'll call wraparound services that I think were interesting. You had a lot of kids. You had to have something for the kids to do. Um, you had a lot of language requirements. So you had to have some folks who could help with that uh, process. Um, you know, the the small, I'll use a small H, health-related services issues that pop up when you have a, a population of folks together. And then the one thing that I recall from that activity is, you know, you're 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 helping people, right? You're helping people who are in really difficult circumstances, displaced from their homes and everything that they know. But you can't just impress your perspective on them. So there was a, a mayor of the village that we created at Fort Dix. There was infrastructure so that they had some uh, connection to uh, what would what would be happening to them. Um, and, and some measure of control. And that was an important uh, piece to the work that we did there. Um, and, and I recall, you know, part of that effort uh, was, and, and by the way, when I was there, we didn't know how long we'd be there. People kept coming in and so forth, was to locate them in communities uh, around the country. And so um, what happens is local uh, agencies, community services organizations get involved. They figure out who can sponsor families and then those families are sort of, uh, you know, connected to those communities um, at a place like Fort Dix, and then they're they're sent, um, you know, to 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 communities that they don't know, but are, are going to welcome them with open arms, are going to help them get, um, you know, their situation uh, figured out for the short term, and at some stage, the presumption would be that they'll have a choice to make, and probably a difficult one, whether they stay in those communities um, by virtue of some legal uh, immigration capability, or um, if the conflict is over, as the conflict, uh, you know, did come to a conclusion that, uh, back in back in uh, uh, Kosovo, um, that they would relocate back home. Um, and so I was there for a few months. Um, it was a rewarding experience. I learned a great deal uh, through that one. Later on, took part in September 11th, uh, where I was um, in New York for a few months, uh, helping with direct relief on that operation. Couldn't have been more different uh, for obvious reasons, um, not the least of which was, it was really the first time the Red Cross dealt with not only the um, direct effect of a disaster, but the economic effect of a disaster. If you were a taxi cab driver who drove in lower Manhattan, your livelihood was effectively cut off. Not too different, frankly, than a pandemic. Your marketplace was gone. Um, obviously, the people who died there um, uh, in in Lower Manhattan, uh, that's one set of issues to, to deal with and work uh, in some honorable fashion with those families. But you had literally thousands of people affected. And when I was in New York, I would, I would have told you that the town was really just getting back. And this is now you know, three, four, five months into into it, really getting back into being probably the New York that we might recognize. Um, uh, there was a there was a shook nature uh, to the population. It continued while while I was there, and so learned a great deal um, in that uh, in that uh, episode as well. Mm -hmm. 
Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works, how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. Well, that's a huge part of why we really wanted to invite you here is our network here of subscribers are all over the world and they're they're ranging from emergency management to safety and security to business continuity and disaster response. And so um, you are bridging <laughs> and at the intersection of everything that we are talking about now. So we've seen a lot of discussions over the past two years and from social justice to community impact to sustainability. And all of these things probably fall up under your role now as Chief Corporate Responsibility Officer. So what does corporate responsibility mean to you? Well, so in its, I suppose, simplest form, you know, we as a company have a set of values. We are a community. We have a community of 61,000 employees. Those employees, by and large, go and help our business grow uh, in whatever business that they work in. We are um, a community that finds itself in 54 markets, right? So, and in each of those markets, we have customers. And, and that's a constituency that we believe, uh, you know, is obviously vitally important to our business. And what we do is vitally important to them. I think people make probably more than ever before decisions on who they do business with by virtue of what reputation those individuals have even well beyond what I'm buying from you. Like, are you are you a good person? Are you a good company? Are you doing things that matter to me? Or if not, I have a choice. I can I can buy from from somebody else. In those communities, those communities have issues that are very relevant to that community. What's true in Miami and what's true in Washington here might not be as true, or uh, perhaps I'd say it better. There might be something more relevant going on in Portland. You know, part of our philosophy in terms of how we go to market, frankly, is is called uh, our Main Street banking model. So we have leaders in each of those markets whose jobs uh, it is to know what are the relevant issues in that marketplace and how does uh, PNC show up and all of the resources we bring to bear uh, to help make those issues better and make that community thrive. Because again, we thrive when the community around us thrives. And then last but not least, we have our shareholders, right? So um, we have shareholders that, um, you know, are basically the owners of this company and, and they want to invest in a company that is uh, doing something that, you know, they would want to reflect on them. And so when I think about my job, you know, and so, uh, you know, our my organization, the Corporate Responsibility Group at PNC, didn't exist three years ago. We brought together a number of functions in the company um, under one, you know, sort of integrated mindset to be able to help communities thrive. I think about each of those constituent groups. I, I, we have ways of understanding what's important to each and every one of them, both internally and externally. Uh, and I think about um, how they think about us um, and what we should be involved in and how we should direct the weight of and gravity of the organization that we, um, that we manage. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we are headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and Pittsburgh uh, is a great town. It is, through its time, 
been uh, at the highest of highs economically and, and in some cases at the lowest of lows. Um, so don't think about Pittsburgh, the steel town. Think about Pittsburgh in 2022, which is a town of uh, biotech, um, higher education, um, UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, um, is one of the best medical centers in the country uh, on a variety of issues. Today, downtown Pittsburgh um, is is not exactly where where I think uh, folks from Pittsburgh would want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, it was very vibrant before the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, of course, most of the folks who worked downtown, all of the folks who worked downtown, uh, ended up working from home, and it sort of choked away the marketplace for some of the restaurant community and restaurants that were burgeoning in Pittsburgh and some of the vibrancy that I, uh, I, I think the town had worked very hard to have happen. Um, and that's still coming back. Sure. One of the things that's happened over that course of time is that the homeless problem has taken a hold in Pittsburgh. Um, and, and, you know, if you talk to people uh, who uh, are working, you know, day in, day out on, on trying to improve conditions in downtown Pittsburgh, that's one of the problems that they point to. So our CEO, Bill Demchik, uh, is a leader in the community, um, hearing the problem, seeing the problem, trying to understand the problem, uh, made a commitment um, and, and galvanized a number of other organizations, by the way, in the community, um, to create a homeless shelter called Second Avenue Commons. Second Avenue Commons, I think it's opening up this week or next week, uh, but it's a state-of-the-art facility mm. that's built uh, with all of the precepts of inclusivity that you would want. So it is not a sort of drop-off shelter where we're trying to put the problems of the world away. We're actually trying to provide a place that's safe um, that's inclusive, that offers an opportunity for a path toward long-term housing solutions um, that has uh, within its walls uh, medical uh, facility capabilities, social services capabilities, uh, all of the uh, folks who would need to be around the table to, to shepherd uh, a person through this portion of their life and hopefully come out on the other side uh, with, with someone who's got a home and is on their feet and is doing what, what they would want. Our part in that was to provide some philanthropic funding as well as some other companies in the area. To And then our uh, real estate team actually did the work of getting the permit, building out the building, providing the construction, putting the walls up and getting it ready for the doors to open here in the next week or so. Um, so that's an example of what can happen, happens to be in our headquarters market. But there's a lot of those examples that companies can take part in. So that's corporate responsibility at PNC. Love that. Love that. I My word that I have in my head of hearing you describe that is holistic. Mm -hmm. um, I always tell our team, we're kind of like a bank. We got to make a deposit before we make a withdrawal. <laughs> because right. we're 100% virtual company since inception. And so although I have 11 people in 12 different states right now, um, how do we have a strategy of who we're investing in in those 12 different locations? Because I'm getting a lot of great talent. I'm getting great clients. But what's our investment back into those communities so we're not just taking? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I You know, it's it's interesting. You, you're running a, a business that's 100% virtual. A number of our employees, while they're coming back to the office, many of them not coming back in the same way that they were, excuse me, uh, in the office before. 
but I think you've got to be of, I think you've got to be rooted and planted um, in, in markets and understand um, the value that you're, to your point, you're extracting from the marketplace, right? In, in so many ways, you probably can't count them. Um, you've got to give back to. It happens because the job that you create, the ability for that person to live a life um, and to take care of family or what have you, is rooted in that marketplace. It doesn't matter that they get on Zoom and do the job that they do. And if you're not connected to what's going on there, um, like, you know, so for example, you know, with Hurricane uh, Ian here uh, last week in Florida, we had a number of employees affected by that. You know, I don't know them. They're one part of uh, the teammates, 61,000 teammates I have. Um, but we were able to do some work to take care of those folks and also care about their communities because how can somebody come and do the job that I need for them to do if the world around them is falling apart and I'm not at least connected to the fact that their circumstance is different from my own? I think I think you've got to be connected no matter what your business organization looks like. You've got to be connected with, to what's going on in the world around the people that you depend on the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last question for you uh, is all about how do we take action? One of the challenges that we're experiencing in the profession as a whole is if you think about Black, Indigenous, people of color, we're less than 1% of the population in business continuity, emergency management, et cetera. And if you look for people that have 10 to 15 years experience, it's a typical profile, right? It's a Caucasian male that maybe came from police or fire. And how do we get beyond that, right? So my, my question for you is about what do you feel or what have you experienced or noticed that are some of the challenges that keep organizations from taking action towards corporate responsibility, whether somebody's focus might be sustainability, whether someone's focus might be social justice or community impact. What do you think is the true brass knuckles? This is why people don't take action. Well, uh, boy, we could spend an hour or two on that topic, right? Um, I'll give you my perspective. Others may disagree. There's probably a better perspective than mine. But I would tell you that we spend a lot of time talking about things and not nearly enough time doing things. Um, one of when we had um, in the age of Floyd, when we had our our time as a company to come together and really look around and, and say, are you OK? How, how are you doing? There's a lot going on. We're, we're concerned. We want to we want to take action. We we did that because it's a good gut check on how the people that you care about the most, you depend on the most, are doing, and that's just basic humanity. But when we decided to do something, we quickly got to let's go cause impact. Back to my example, you know, we could have formed a committee to talk about the homeless problem in Pittsburgh, and we could have gotten all of the folks from around the country who are experts on homeless issues and and we could have had a series of roundtables and we could have issued a report and the report could have had 35 you know volumes and 15 you know deliverables over a period of time or we could have just built you know kind of like a holistic inclusive shelter to help people and get them in the door to move toward not being homeless any longer and I don't know, for me, at the end of the day, I'd rather have spent the last year and a half building that homeless shelter and yeah. then looking at the people whose lives are changed than I would figuring out whether we've done, you know, one ace, you know, uh, of the plan uh, and and what's going to be the next version of the plan. 
I think we I think we are in analysis paralysis when it comes to these topics. And I think if we just go and we pick a thing, right? So something that everyone can agree on. It's not uh, a partisan issue. It's not, we're not going to get any of that get in our way. But we can go have impact on. Mm-hmm. And then we do the, 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 the important thing of counting it up, right? Because what gets measured gets done. And then we say, you know, look, I'll make it up. Um, you know, 1% of disaster relief people uh, are, are Black, Indigenous, people of color. Uh, we want that to be 2%. Okay, so so what does that number look like? Now, where do we go to do that? Well, there are any number of, as I understand it these days, emergency management certificates and degree programs around the country. All right, so how do we channel people uh, who represent the Black, Indigenous, persons of color population and make them aware of this wonderful uh, set of careers and in industry um, that helps people, right? And I, I, I think the things I just outlined to you are actually not really hard to do. There's historically Black colleges and universities. There are uh, Hispanic-serving institutions or HSIs. Um, even at uh, predominantly white institutions, um, there are uh, cadres of the Divide Nine fraternities and sororities to tap into. Um, there are any number of uh, young, uh, uh, organiz- younger youth organizations um, co- a couple that come to mind, Inroads, um, Jack and Jill, what have you, that could be tapped and shown a path toward a career that frankly is getting uh, is getting more and more necessary, uh, right? No matter what you sort of believe about uh, ESG climate uh, is an issue that we are grappling with. Uh, yep. As I said in the outset, we we I remember Hurricane Andrew being the bar. Hurricane Andrew times 15 has been seen over the last few years. And so, um, unfortunately, I think we need a lot of people who do what you do. I think they need to be representative of the communities that they serve so that um, those requirements and needs of those communities are well represented uh, in the diversity of the people responding to uh, emergencies. And so that, so go do it. Stop talking about it. So there's no way I can ask another question, guys. So... (laughs) Because we're just going to go do it and not talk about it. So uh, where can our subscribers find you or connect with PNC and, and the awesome work that you and your team are doing? PNC.com in general for our company uh, backslash CSR. If you want to take a look at our corporate responsibility group and see, uh, report and see what we've been up to. Uh, we publish that on an annual basis and um, uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter and all those places uh, for folks who do that kind of thing. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Espalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.